From Miami Law, I'm Annette Ugez, and this is The Explainer. There's lots of room for flipped classrooms, and there's lots of room for experiential learning, which schools more and more do. There's lots of room for courses which are deeply interdisciplinary or very different in kind from the traditional courses. And good law schools are are doing that. Welcome to the final episode of Season 2 of the Miami Law Explainer, where legal experts take a plunge into the context and relevance behind the headlines. Today on our show, we'll examine legal education. All law schools must evolve to stay current in the legal marketplace and need to continue to prepare attorneys with pertinent skills to the practice. We are pleased to be with the Dean of Miami Law, Patricia D. White, one of the most recognized, influential, and innovative voices in the field. Dean White chairs the American Bar Association's Commission on the Future of Legal Education. In her two decades leading law schools, first at Arizona State University's Sandra Day O'Connor College of Law, and for the last decade at Miami Law, Dean White has overseen major changes in education of the next generation of lawyers. Here is Explainer Executive Producer Catherine Skip with the interview. Good morning, Trish. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Technology is rapidly disrupting aspects of every business model but still students need to pass the bar. How do law schools cover all the lanes? Well, it's difficult for law schools to cover all the lanes because bar subject matter numbers are increasing dramatically in Florida. For example, to pass the bar, you need to, uh, you're tested on 27 different subjects. And at the same time, there are so many different aspects of law that need to be understood if you're a well educated lawyer. And so one of the things that's happening is that students are having to make a lot of different choices about where they want to go and where they want to specialize. And with respect to the issues of disruption that's occurring in the legal business Mm -hmm. itself, and there are many, many jobs and many, many forms of the provision of legal services, which can be done, I think, by Mm non-lawyers or which can be done in more efficient sorts of ways. And so it is very wise for lawyers to understand technology, to be able to think about efficiencies and provision of legal services. And uh, so you'll find that law schools that have the luxury of expanding their curricula are doing so in a very intentional way. And we, for example, do a great deal of actual work using technology, thinking about robots and artificial intelligence and alternatives to traditional legal services. But it's very, it's a, it's a real challenge. Mm-hmm. So what are the most critical skills uh, that current practicing attorneys and soon-to-be lawyers need to achieve success in this environment? It's not as clear as it should be. And part of the reason it isn't as clear as it should be is, of course, that we're not entirely certain what the legal climate is going to look like in 10 years. I think we can be very certain that it doesn't look like it look, looks like now or that it looks as it looked 10 years ago. And so among the things that lawyers are going to need to do and increasingly need to do is they need to be agile in adapting to change. They need to be able to work collaboratively. Mm -hmm. They need to work efficiently, which means in part thinking about project management, 
thinking about how you can reduce costs by employing and working with people from other disciplines who have other talents and whether or not those skills are skills which you can easily teach in law school or whether they need to come in other ways is is a somewhat open question. And unfortunately, people who uh, write bar exams and who do testing haven't done systematic examination of what the skills are that are even needed now, much less what the skills are that are going to be needed in the future. There are beginning to be some significant surveys and empirical studies done of lawyers currently describing what they believe the skills of the brand new lawyer should be. But the study has not evolved nearly as rapidly or in as formed a matter as it ought to, because what tends to happen is that licensing agencies look back rather than forward. Mm-hmm. It seems like law went along in sort of a measured way, and then it's sort of accelerating with all these different uh, parts of technology. At looking at your 20 years as a dean of law schools, how have you seen that change, and, and do you think we're addressing it? Well, it's changed enormously. The business model for most law firms has changed. Most traditional law firms has changed. 20 years ago, you didn't have very many mega firms that spanned many, many countries and many, many different legal systems. You tended to have for uh, firms that were more indigenous in a location and uh, they operated on hourly billing and that was how big law worked. Right, a global, much more global. And it's much more global. In the context of smaller law firms, they have tended to be uh, more specialized than they used to be, and the ones that survive tend to be more specialized, and there are fewer generalists. There are many, many fewer generalist lawyers than than there used to be. In the context of Governmental law, there's probably been the least change. Governmental agencies, prosecutors' offices, uh, public defenders' offices, uh, places of that sort. As that has changed, people have not looked as closely as they might at what that means for legal education. Legal education has had to evolve in order to try to prepare people for the, the world that they're going into And because there's lag time and resistance on the um, part of the the firms for thinking hard about the future rather than the economic present, law schools are are put in the awkward position of trying to train people for the present when what needs to happen is that we all need to be thinking ahead of of the future. Well, in the midst of all of these additional skills that the lawyer of the future and the current lawyer needs, uh, it cannot be lost sight of that we also need lawyers to have the same kinds of general skills that they have. They need to understand how to think like a lawyer, as we like to say. They need to be able to do legal analysis. They need to be able to have the gift of being able to speak articulately and effectively They need to be able to argue. They need to have a whole lot of critical skills. And they have to be very much committed to fundamental principles like 
equal protection and due process and fundamental liberties and things of that sort. And so when you put all of those things together, you end up with a great deal of skill set that needs to be possessed. And one of the questions we need to think about is, should all lawyers receive the same kind of education or should there be much more specialization in in the kind of education people have so that they can proceed in different sorts of directions. And really importantly, and this goes back to your first question about disruption in business models, should everybody need to be a lawyer? And it may well be that we should be much more like the medical profession in the sense that we have paraprofessionals who are trained in particular ways who can efficiently and cost-effectively provide something which counts a lot as legal service, but it's not a full, it's not a full-fledged legal service. Mm-hmm. And so that you end up with people being able to work collaboratively and together in teams to provide uh, services to a broad range of people at far less cost. So you have like the super paralegal or the mini JD. Exactly. And uh, you wouldn't necessarily call it the mini JD, but you might, for example, think that there are certain skills associated with uh, certain sorts of contract review, for example, that somebody could get really good at, really fast at, be very effective at, yet they wouldn't need to have all of the, the training that somebody who's going to be a litigator Needs. They don't need to know evidence, for example. They wouldn't need to be experts necessarily on constitutional law or intellectual property. And so you can have levels of specification or specialization of skill. We have often in some states you require people who do real estate closings to be attorneys. And that's a pretty repetitive sort of of skill or title search, those sorts of things. And those things could clearly be done by, by uh, let's just call them people who are trained in limited ways. Limited licensure is what, the, is what the state of Washington calls it. But I think that we should be thinking as a profession systematically about which skills need full legal training, which skills need additional legal training, and think very hard about an educational system that would be tailored to those needs and a licensure system, which would be tailored to those needs. Right. So how do we build that law school? Is it podcast lectures? Is it online quizzes? Is it flipped classrooms? Like what changes need to come, not just uh, to the curricula, but to the physical space? I think it's less important that there be, uh, changes to the physical space, then that there be changes to the curriculum and that there be a great diminution in the sense that uh, accrediting agencies place on everybody having to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. I think there should be able to be schools which experiment in various different kinds of ways, uh, schools which are particularly strong on one thing or another. Teaching mechanisms, of course, are, um, can, can vary hugely. And I think there's room for all of it. Historically, legal teaching, which is actually very, very good and effective, tended to use the Socratic method. And that really is a tried and true 
method of, of teaching, but not all subjects need to be taught in that way. And there's lots of room for flipped classrooms and there's lots of room for experiential learning, which schools more and more do. There's lots of room for courses which are deeply interdisciplinary or very different in kind from the traditional courses. And good law schools are are doing that. But ironically, as they're doing it, they are releasing their students into an environment where the licensure uh, uh, the licensure regime is is being more and more specific as to what they need to do and making it more difficult for the students to get the varied kind of education that that is is useful. Change is nigh. Change is uh, is very much abreast and uh, we just need to have our our institutions and I don't mean necessarily our schools but we need to have our institutions and our approaches uh, to be available uh, to be to be agile and my view is that the biggest serious problem that we have is the details of the well there are many problems but uh, are the details of the licensure regime that we need to make the licensure regime reflective of uh, what we think the needs of the professions are. They need to be properly aligned. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you so much. That's a wrap for season two. We'll be dropping some bonus episodes over the summer and be back with season three in the fall. Thanks for joining us at The Explainer. If you like the show, leave us a five-star review on your podcast platform and tell your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Ray D. Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uguez. Today's show was brought to you by the Miami Scholars Public Interest Program, which awards full tuition scholarships to incoming students with exceptional academic and public interest achievements. For more information, visit www.law.miami.edu backslash Miami Scholars.